The short game is listener-supported on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and join us on our Discord, head to theshortgame.net or patreon.com slash theshortgame. Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show about short video games and games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and I'm joined this week by two of my awesome sheltering-at-home co-hosts, Nate Heininger and Laura Nash. And this week we are talking about a video game that we played that is called The Red Strings Club. Yeah, this is a game that's been uh, floating around on our list for a little while. Uh, I know a couple people have recommended it to us, so really glad we finally uh, took the time to dig in and try out this interesting, interesting game. Well, it was funny. I originally suggested we go back and play this because I was like, you know, it's that game that was in our backlog. It's a bartending sim. And it wouldn't it be really fun to just go make cocktails. And that is not what this game is, but <laughs> that is why I chose it. Yeah, we'll get into everything else. But like, I was really surprised how little bartending happens, how little drink making happens in this game and how much of every other thing. Uh, it's it's a really uh, interesting uh, like structurally, and I think the thing that's most interesting about this game is its dialogue and the way that it delivers that dialogue. It's very interestingly branching, but like it's really marketed as being focused on the drink making, whereas like there's, I think you make like seven or eight drinks in this game. Total, yeah. It's it's much yeah. more of a like cyberpunk visual novel. It's got a lot of uh, feeling in common with read only memories, but it it I think. We thought it was much more of a bar game. It is much more of a revolution game. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, you said, um, let's play this drink making game. Yeah, that sounds light and fun. Uh, you mean actual like technological cyberpunk existential dread game? Cool. That's what I need right now when I'm spending all of my time on screens and on the internet. Yeah. It's speed dating for Ghosts for Valentine's Day all over again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that's exactly what this is. This this game is not a bartending game. No, in fact, it, it's a uh, it's a cyberpunk visual novel with a really uh, heavy or not. So when I when people say heavy themes, I think that you know you, you imagine that oh, this is going to be a game where like people are dying left or right, or there's other like you know horrible emotional traumas. And I mean that there's there's maybe a little of that, but actually, what what makes this game like what surprised me about how I guess heavy is a a word I can apply to this and I'm not coming up with a better one it, about this game is that it's mostly just asking really difficult questions about um uh like uh, philosophical questions about things like uh free will uh is the probably the the biggest central theme here and about um you know uh, technology and control um more interesting deep sort of philosophical thinking in this than you typically find even in games that are trying to be that sort of sci-fi thinky stuff you know yeah that's i think the game's best that that's where this game is best it asks a lot of really good questions and sets up a lot of really good sci-fi questions i think this game is heavy in the same way that like blade runner is heavy you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah, and I think to be fair, the the bartending in its marketing and in its positioning always was you serve people drinks that change their emotion. And I think we all gravitated towards the serve people drinks part. But really, this game is a lot about it's, it's got this noir feel and it's about manipulating emotion 
not just you as the bartender, but also like how is a marketer changing people's emotions? How is a lawyer? How are robots? How is the future? Like, yeah. And then what are the ethics of all of those things? Like, yeah, are, uh, is, uh, is manipulating other people in a myriad of other, of different ways that are kind of touched on in this game, manipulating other people, uh, emotionally and, uh, and psychologically, is it ethical? Uh, and can it be ethical? When is it ethical? Uh, those are the kinds of questions that this touches on. Is it um, ethical depending on who yeah. does it? Is it ethical depending on how you initiate it? Is it, you know, is depression okay? Like there's so many questions like that. And and so I think the emotional manipulation part is the biggest theme and it ties into free will and, and everything else that you'd normally get in a tech cyber world. One of the questions that it asks is, is, is it possible for marketing to ever be ethical? Right. And they really expand on that. But if you're we're, we're talking very big picture, I thought it'd be helpful to actually give one of the specific topics that this game talks about. Uh, and they really dig in on it. But like that is an interesting question. And it's interesting for a, a video game to approach that. Yeah. And, and what I like is it's not just forcing you to make a decision. You can have Donovan, uh, the character, the bartender you're playing as you can state an opinion, but someone who has an opposite opinion is going to fight you on it. And at the end, you kind of get to make a decision, which is nice. Often you could just declare your opinion and like everyone in the game is to bow down to you. This game fights back a little. It does. Yeah. So I think probably the the best thing to talk about here first is just the the main uh, mechanics of the storytelling. And we can talk about the other mechanics, things like the bartending as we go, as they come up. But like the, the, kind of meat of this game is the conversation and the way this game delivers its conversation with its kind of dialogue system. Um, uh, just as a quick side note, like I, I agree with Laura that like I was expecting a lot more bartending and I was just glancing at the Wikipedia page for this. Obviously this isn't on the developers or on Devolver Digital, but whoever wrote the Wikipedia article. But one of the first sentences is the bulk of the game involves uh, Donovan mixing drinks to such and such. And I was like, the bulk of the game? <laughs> <laughs> Again, it's more no. like a five percent of the game. Five percent would be yeah. very generous if it gets, it's it's a maybe I mean, more like one. Anyway, we'll talk about the drink making, but the the core of the the gameplay experience here is having conversations. So, um, you, there are actually a few different POV characters uh, that you play as in different parts of this game, but for the most part, you're having conversations in the bar, the the Red Strings Club, uh, which is a very old school looking bar. Uh, a a customer will come in, uh, you will have a conversation with that customer at the bar, and that conversation tends to be very branching. So, um, you know, you'll you'll have the opportunity to usually say, you know, between three and five responses to almost anything that they say to you. And those, those responses are pretty divergent. Um, and I have only played through this game once, so it's very hard to really say, like, exactly how much branching happens here. But uh it does an extremely good job of convincingly feeling like the, the the conversation is following the threads that you are putting out there. You have when you have multiple dialogue options, those dialogue options are not just three or four ways of saying the same thing. They're significantly different. And they yeah. seem to present you with with really divergent conversational tracks that you can potentially go down. I, I think it's important to call out that you know, at its heart, this game is like a detective game. It's like a mystery game. Mm -hmm. You uh, as Donovan and the other characters that you uh, that you play as you're trying to figure out something. There's there's a big time 
uh, cons- you know, sci-fi cyberpunk conspiracy going on. I think it might not hurt for us to set up that sort of initial, like, it, I, I don't want to spoil any of the, of the core story of the game here. We'll have a spoiler break section a little later where we can talk about some of the details and especially the ending, which is a little wild, but uh, I think it, it doesn't hurt to set up like the world that we're playing in and the sort of central, uh, central thread of the plot. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right because this game is all about branching dialogue and and I think it's really important that we discuss it, but it's helpful to know that you are, you have a goal in these dialogues, right? Your, your purpose is try to learn information. And it really seems like the, the way this game is setting itself up is that as a player, there's, it seems like hundreds, if not thousands of different ways to learn this information. Uh, and that's what this game is really doing is letting you choose who you talk to and how you talk to them and what drinks you serve them to learn the information in what order. I think probably at the end of the day, we all ultimately learned the same information, but we all went about it in very, very different ways. So I think, yeah, let's talk about what is like the big picture story here. What is yeah. the inciting incident? And like any noir, it starts off with a dame walking into a bar, except this is a robot and it's kind of bloody and falling apart. And it, uh, the, what we find out is a Kara, um, you know, walks into the bar and collapses and, um, you're Donovan, the bartender and you're, um, you got this hacker boyfriend Brandeis who kind of goes into her memory and you're suddenly back in a, lab with a pottery wheel like you do um and you're a robot working for a company called supercontinent uh making implants for humans and i don't want to go too far into the plot but there is um some resistance movement that comes in you make some changes uh and the whole mystery is you're trying to figure out what this supercontinent con- company is up to like that's the whole inciting incident is is taking this memory from the robot and unpacking it and figuring out what you can do to stop uh, the big bad they're planning. Would you have to figure out what the big bad is? <laughs> this is very, seems at the first, at start, like a very standard cyberpunk stuff, right? Big company basically runs the entire city, if not the world. And uh, they are uh, planning something, something nefarious. And the main characters, uh, Donovan, the bartender, is a information broker, which is one of those fictional jobs that comes up in every science fiction thing where they're like, I want to, I want a smart guy who knows everything. I'm going to make him an information broker. When's the last time you went to the information broker, Laura? I mean, I'm not a nefarious or resistance movement. Like there's no reason for me to go to an information broker. The idea of an information broker as a job, I think made a lot more sense to science fiction writers before Google. But anyway, uh, yes. <laughs> but uh, he's an information broker as well as being the world's greatest bartender who also runs the, <laughs> the world's crappiest bar. We'll talk about that. But uh, his boyfriend hanging around is some sort of revolutionary. So that's Brandeis. Uh, so Donovan and Brandeis are kind of main main characters. And uh, and Brandeis is trying to bring down Supercontinent. And Donovan, uh, like any good boyfriend would, is trying to help by providing information. And so most of those conversations, like Nate was saying, are about trying to fish important information out of people who might know useful details to help Brandeis. And a lot of what's kind of interesting about the way the sort of overall structure of this works is that you're, you're for a lot of the game, you're kind of cutting between 
uh, longer scenes with Donovan in the bar, kind of drawing information out of his patrons, uh, and then usually shorter scenes kind of implying all of the legwork that uh, Brandeis is doing to sort of set up uh, the, you know, the to try to try to bring down uh, uh, the supercontinent, you know, scheme. Uh, so you don't see a lot of that sort of like, you know, revolutionary work that he's doing. It's just sort of happens in phone calls for the most part with uh, with Donovan. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting balance bouncing back and forth. And I also I just have to say this real quick. Uh, Laura, you mentioned the pottery. Uh, oh, yeah. Thing. <laughs> they're, they're, so it, this is super strange. There's and really arguably, pottery. Like, I wasn't kidding. Yeah, we need to talk about the pottery and the drink making, which I think are like the, the two non-conversational things that we do in this game. It's so strange. I mean, like a lot of visual novels have mini games, but these are very strange mini games. The pottery one you do, I I think you have made one drink before the pottery yeah. thing, but maybe not. Is it? Yeah, yes, yeah you definitely one, one drink. drink was, yeah, I think. Which is very, very simple. And then you do a very long uh, scene with Akara where you are doing literally like a pottery wheel simulator. You have to press uh, A, A repeatedly to get the pottery thing spinning. And then you use the joystick to uh, select in a sort of clunky selection tool what tool you want, and then you are you are whittling down the these biomass things to make like little what look like vases, and they're actually implants. And the but the main reason I wanted to bring this up is that. The sound when you are making oh God. this pottery <laughs> is so, so it's so gross. It's so wet. <laughs> and uh, Molly was next to me, and she's you know she's like for anyone who trigger warning to this game for anyone who has even minor misophobia because it is disgusting. Yeah. It is so gross. And then when you insert the implant, it's like <laughs> you know it's everything is so wet. Like I feel I feel like there's at least a certain amount of people who put this game down. Uh, you know, because of that. And I'll just say, you never have to do it again after this. <laughs> yeah, I was super thrown because one, I've been watching to uh, chill out a TV show called The Great Pottery Throwdown, which is big off for potters. So like one, I've been watching weirdly a pottery show. And two, um, I've been playing mini games and ring fit to keep myself entertained. And there's one called like, pottery squattery and you literally are doing <laughs> squats and pushing it on a pottery ring and let me tell you I am more accurate in the like fitness game where you're just like squatting to do this than I was at this game I was so bad at the pottery yeah this is a bit of a theme so here. bad the, uh, the the pottery and the drink making are both like it feels it feels a bit like they came up with a really solid dialogue system and then we're like well, we need a couple of other little gameplay modes to sort of throw in to break up the dialogue. And the drink making is, a, I think, a pretty obvious choice. Pottery, uh, which happens only in the one scene, but for a pretty long time, is a, kind of a less obvious choice. And in a way, I thought it was a more creative choice, even though it, like, it doesn't really map like, you know, crafting uh, like uh, biological implants in a cyberpunk future versus running a pottery wheel. Those two things don't necessarily like come together in your mind, but as a sort of an abstraction, I feel like it's an interesting one. And I actually, I actually liked the pottery. I, I thought it was, I thought it was interesting um, enough. And part of it is that you're not just, uh, you're not just turning these little vase shape things. 
you're having to, to, to look at a selection of possible ones to make, and then you're choosing which implants to put into a variety of people based on a, a short profile that you read about each person. Um, and that I thought was very interesting. Yeah, you're solving someone's problems. Yeah, yeah. The implant, the the idea of implants and selecting what implant to put in the people, which it also certainly seemed like it had heavy impact on the story because uh, you. I'm pretty sure there's some things that change on, based on that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but so so that was really cool, and that was very you know. Uh, cyberpunky and interesting, and I liked making those choices. The pottery thing, though, I just like. <laughs> I just was like, what was the decision making that this is what I would be doing? Because I honestly, I think you spend more time overall making in this one pottery scene than you do in all of the drink. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure you do the pottery at least ten times. You do it until you put, until you solve people's problems in the first scene, and if you do what I think the game wants you to, you will try to solve it multiple ways before you get the like, quote unquote, right answer. Fortunately, it doesn't ever make you sculpt the same thing twice. You know, once you've sculpted something, a particular version of the implant, then you can just insert that implant again if it comes up again with another client. Um, So you don't have to, but it's still, it's still a lot of that pottery. Um, But honestly, like, if it if if it if it had been more of this kind of thing in the game, I would have been into it. Um, I I think this maybe you guys feel differently about it. You obviously thought it was grosser than I thought it was. I didn't think it was that bad. I don't think it was gross. I think it was just harder than I wanted it to be using a trackpad on a computer. Oh, okay, that's fair. I played that part on the uh, Nintendo Switch. I mean, I played the whole game on the N- Nintendo Switch. Um, but like for the most part, for this, I went in with the touchscreen. Um, because with a touchscreen, I felt like this actually felt pretty natural. You have to choose between a variety of different mm. little tools. Uh, you're pressing a button uh, in order to spin up the the pottery wheel, and then you're kind of using the touchscreen to kind of like carve out parts of the pottery to match a kind of a, a pre-made pattern. Um, I don't know. I, I Overall, I thought this scene was really interesting because the, the pottery was like, okay, it was a little mindless, but it was still like, it was an interesting tactile thing. Um, and I don't think it overstayed its welcome too terribly much. Maybe you felt differently about it. Um, but then the the whole like aspect of like, uh, this is a robot trying to read brief profiles about people and try to solve their life problems by giving them uh, implants that do things like try to make them more popular on social media or shut down their drive for success or other sort of psychological stuff. Um, I thought it was interesting world building and like that's not the kind of implants you usually see in cyberpunk usually in cyberpunk people's implants are and they do have these in this game too the like i want to plug my brain into a computer and uh be Mm -hmm. able to pull up information or i want cyber eyes that can see in the dark but here most of the implants were things like that had an effect on you on an emotional level things like um Mm -hmm. making you uh like more uh more ambitious or more able to more persuasive or other things like that. Um, so I thought that was interesting from a world building perspective and the sort of uh, no wrong answers puzzle of trying to solve people's problems by picking from a menu of psychological changes that you wanted to make to them was, I thought, very interesting. Yeah, so there's a first round where you have like answers, but then there's a second round where executives of this company come in and you can put what you feel in them and that changes the game I I realized after a while you can click on like in mine it was the upper left corner and you you get like a map of your decisions over time yeah 
it is a bit astonishing how many different things they are tracking because in something like Life is Strange, you get the little butterfly in the corner like four times a game. This was happening like 80 times. Yeah, they do it in a couple different ways because you are um, as you're making decisions, you're learning things and you get these little notifications at the bottom left that'll basically be like, you learned this and it's like a new bit of information uh, or it'll be like, you, you know, you made this person happy, the standard like so and so will remember this, you know. Uh, yes. But then the, there's also this red notification that it, it I forget the exact phrasing, but it's basically like you pulled this string. And I thought that was really, really interesting because that was clearly indicating that you were changing something with the way the story was going mm-hmm. in a more dramatic way. Yeah. So obviously the, uh, the like weird pottery thing is like a pretty strange. It's, I feel it's, it's particularly strange given how early it is in the game uh, that it, it feels like this big chunk of the first 30 minutes of the game are all this pottery thing. And then that uh, mechanic disappears because it really just sort of serves its one purpose in this one spot. Uh, I was expecting it to come back given how much sort of care it had in that moment. But uh, the, uh, the other big non-dialogue interaction that we have in this game uh, is, I think, more interesting in a way, but also I felt like more of a failure. That's the, uh, the drink making. Uh, so I was expecting to do a lot of drink making in this game. And also I'm a person who loves cocktails and loves making cocktails. And so I was kind of excited about making cocktails in the game. Um, but like somebody could somebody describe how cocktails are made in this in this dystopic yes. future. It's like how you would make a cocktail in a bar where you only had up, down, left, right. Like it's like, a, it's like yeah. if a twelve-year-old like raided their parents' liquor cabinet. They had four random bottles, and they were like, "Cocktails are where you mix these, right?" Like, oh, dude, these are yeah, these are disgusting. It's literally you have absinthe, tequila, vodka, and bourbon, and, and no mixers. Your cocktails, are, yeah, your cocktails are what what blend of those are you going to serve to a customer? And and we're supposed to believe that like this is a genius bartender who can speak to someone, doesn't take orders uh, of drinks, but instead speaks to someone and wants to craft a perfect cocktail based on their mood or to manipulate their mood. I think it's supposed to be that he is like that there's like magic going into him. Mm. You know, it's not, I mean, you, just, you invoke a muse at the beginning of the game. Yeah, so like it doesn't, yeah, it's, it's, it's like, the, yes, it's a horrific swirl of 75% tequila and 25% bourbon, <laughs> but also it was, it was made and two ice cubes, uh, but it was made with magic also. So I, I think that the, uh, the intent or the, what, what it, the impact on the game that it has is way cooler than the execution of the drink making. Yeah. But basically you uh, at the start of any conversation with one of the clients and then at any time within a conversation or, or before you ask like a big question to one of these clients, you'll have the option to make them another drink. So you're, so you could technically, if you wanted to, you could make a ton of drinks in this game, but I never really felt compelled to do that. And I think we'll talk about that here in a minute. But the actual mechanic of it is whenever you're going to make a drink for someone, uh, you have this little row of of the bottles of alcohol on the on the table that you have to take your cursor, click to pick up and then hold your cursor to click and 
and and use and spin it and it like physically pours out and you have to spin it back and so you're actually like physically picking up these bottles and pouring in the alcohol and when you're doing that it's moving a circle over on the left hand or the right hand side of the screen uh it's called the soul disc i don't know why they felt the name to give this a name let alone call it the soul disc (laughs) <laughs> but the thing, crazy thing is, like, the bottle is labeled tequila. It, it's got some art on it that's clearly a right arrow. Yeah, okay. This <laughs> like, is something that I felt really stupid when I realized it, like, halfway through the game. Because at the first couple of drinks I was making, um, I, I I didn't notice that the, uh, the bottles, they have these, the labels are up, down, left, and right arrows, but they're just abstracted enough that at first I just thought they were labels. Um, and so I was trying to figure out, oh, okay, like, okay, bourbon goes up and tequila goes down, yeah. but, uh, or sorry, vodka goes down. But I, um, I, I didn't know that I couldn't like tell that at a glance. I had to try to remember it. And I kept having to throw out a bunch of drinks. Um, I felt real stupid when I realized that that's literally on the bottles. I just but it was, yeah. yeah, but anyway, it's good. It's good iconography. So, so you're, um, so yeah. So depending on how much you pour, like if you pour a little bit of bourbon into glass, the circle moves up, right? If you pour a little bit of vodka, it moves down. And you can only pour so much into the glass. If you pour too much, it just overflows. And But what you're trying to do is also in this same part of the screen where your little circles, your soul node or whatever. Your soul disc is moving up and down. The soul nodes are the moods. The soul disc is your... That's, there we go. Oh, right. So you're, yes. So you're, so you're moving How your soul disc How can I get those confused? Excuse me. Yeah. Why do we have this terminology? You're, yeah. You're trying to line up your soul disc <laughs> with, with your soul nodes. Uh, with... With a soul node. That makes sense, right? Everyone of course. knows that. Yeah. Common, common uh, mechanic. making 101. <laughs> yeah. We, yeah, we've all been to TGI Fridays, right? So, uh, so they, uh, on the screen will be between like two and four soul nodes that have an emotion <laughs> connected to them. And depending on who they are, the emotions range. But like for uh, one of the characters who is a... Um, she is young and she's outgoing and she is a marketing director. Hers are uh, lust, like envy, uh, madness, and something depression. else. Depression. I forget what Euphoria, the depression. depression. Yeah. 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 Okay. And so you, before you ask your questions, you are going to be able to mix a drink that will basically make the person feel the emotion that you line up your soul disc to the soul. Disc. Right. <laughs> and so when you, so, so if you want to with like with this character, you make a drink that, uh, you know, invokes her emotion of lust, you give her the drink. And f- after drinking it, everything she is saying is like dripping with lust. Right. Or there's another person who like vanity is a thing that you can line it up with. And when they, after they drink that drink, they are all about themselves and their self image. And you can, so by, by making the choice of what drink you serve them, it'll impact how they respond to your questions. And it's a really interesting mechanic. The drink making itself is kind of tedious and, and kind of, kind of boring. I, I, I want to talk about this because I think I had more trouble with the drink making than the two of you guys. So, um, the, I think it's cause you were on switch. But yeah. I'd love yeah. to hear about that. Well, I, I did it on switch though, too. I, I don't know. I, 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 so I, I, th- I have a, sus- I have a suspicion, but I want to ask about something in particular. Anyway, the, uh, the drink making part, the actual physical part of it is, um, you know, Nate mentioned it earlier. You pick up bottles, you pour bottles into a glass, or later you get one of the, the sort of a mixing glass. Um, and you 
you have to pour just the right amount to move the disc to just the right location. Um, hopefully, uh, you know, it stops in exactly the right spot and then you serve the drink. Um, physically on the, uh, on the switch, you can do that either with the touchscreen or with the, uh, with the joy cons, like with the joystick. Um, First of both of those felt like crap to me. Doing it with the Joy-Cons was the, the closest thing to making a drink win, in quap that I could possibly imagine. It <laughs> felt like uh, it, I was like literally like the octo dad of bartenders. I was like throwing booze on the ground. I would try to try to shake the drink and I would dump it out upside down. Like uh, part of that was just the confusion. Like physically, my hands couldn't remember whether I was supposed to be uh, just pressing once to pick up or pressing and holding to tilt. Um, so I'd like go to pick something up and like my brain would say, okay, you press and hold to hold on to this thing. And then what that would mean would be I'd pour the drink on the ground. But then the other problem was like, you you know, trying to uh, pour man, a bottle in the bottle. This is a small thing, but like when you want to go to pour a bottle into something, the bottle spins on its center, Right. But like you can't see right. how much booze is in the bottle, so you don't know exactly what point in the arc it's going to start pouring. So I'd go to pour, and like sometimes, very often, my my arc of booze would overshoot the bottle, the thing I was pouring oh, into, no. and go on the floor, or it would undershoot and go on the floor. Or I'd pour, I'd like have to tilt, tilt, tilt. When's it going to start pouring? Tilt, tilt, tilt. When's it going to start pouring? Dump, and suddenly I've dumped way too much booze. Um, it just it it felt like ridiculous. I felt like like I could I could drink I could mix this drink. This drink is fifty percent one thing, fifty percent something else. I could drink I could mix that in my sleep in real life, but doing it on this screen was impossible. And the touchscreen didn't actually make it that much easier because on the Switch touchscreen the bottles are very small on screen, but you have to use it's doing multi touch with two fingers to pour, and so it was. I was almost always obscuring the screen in order to do it. So I couldn't see what I was pouring. It was a nightmare. It sucks. <laughs> it's so dumb. Uh, that's uh, that's so funny. I, I mean, I, I don't, your experience was your experience and your feelings are real, Reagan. But <laughs> as you've learned in this I, game, I, feelings are real. <laughs> I, uh, I don't know. It was not, I mean, I found it boring. Yeah, it's but also it's it, also boring. I, That's the problem. Yes. I did I did not find it difficult. I think I made every drink within I would be like, "Oh, I want to make, you know, the top right one." Mm. And I think it would take me like 15 seconds to yeah. make it. And it I also get, played it, it on even on more Switch. frustrating with some of the more advanced stuff. Later in the game, they add some ingredients that do things like rotate the soul disc so that there's an arrow on it and you have to align that arrow correctly. And um uh, so that would mean, for example, <laughs> that you have to pour like uh, like some of like like say uh, you know twenty five percent of one thing, thirty like percent of something else, at the end. Like, little do, bit do, of do. yeah. yeah um, just, and every time I would overshoot it, like this. I could not pour <laughs> the right amount to save my life. It was just like so. I, I there were periods, points in this game where I'd have to make the same drink like 10, 15 times, hoping to get it. To, to line up correctly. Or there'd be even worse parts where I thought I had it exactly right. I'd look at it and the, the disc was sitting right the, on top of the node that I wanted it to be. And the, the arrow was pointed exactly where I wanted and the serve button wouldn't come up because it thought I wasn't lined up. I'm like, it's lined up enough for me. I'm done making this goddamn drink. If he doesn't like it, he could suck eggs. And you drop one button in. Like there was a part where I did take a screenshot because I had the soul node. so. A thing I do really like is that ice will like short, like you it will tighten the circle. I did actually like that. That's, no, um, that's a cute touch. But you get it, you you drop the ice in, and it lines up. And it was 
like completely off except for one pixel. And I was like just dropping single dots of things in there. But that was that was the only uh, time. I found myself doing that. Basically, the like, OK, what is the smallest amount I can possibly pour using this incredibly fiddly interface? Like to try to like just inch something a little bit the direction I wanted it to go. Oh, it's so imprecise. I I think my new favorite part of this game is watching you just now screaming about the drink making uh, mechanism. (laughs) So so I I do want to say, though, the drink making has one key saving grace. Playing it sucks. But what it represents in the game is a really clever thing in the context of the thematic context of the game, because this game is very concerned with and without getting into the spoilers of like what the big plot is, this game is very concerned with uh, with the uh, whether it's ethical and the ethical implications of manipulating people mentally without their consent. Uh, and uh, and a big chunk of the game is about trying to stop a plot that is essentially doing that in one form or another um, to what ends we don't really know at the beginning of the game. But from the first moment of the game, that's also what you're doing. You're making drinks. Your muse is helping you make drinks that are emotionally manipulating the people sitting at your bar. Um, and so it, it feels a little bit like foreshadowing in a way of what's coming later. And also it, it, it's a constant reminder as you're fighting against supercontinent that you're in this small way, a little bit of a hypocrite. Um, the game loves to remind you of your little hypocrisies because, well, that's what happens when you get into deep ethical territory, right? Is that, that there's almost no way to be an absolutist. You have to find, you, you have, you know, if you're being a human, you're going to be a hypocrite in some ways. Uh, and the game loves to point those things out to you. Yeah. That, I mean, again, that, that is where this game shines mm-hmm. is it's, it's writing and it's the questions that it asks and the way that it challenges you as a player and challenges its own world building. Like there is, I mean, we, we, I was ranting about pottery making and Reagan, you liked it. Then you're ranting about drink making. And I thought it was boring, but not hard. So there's obvious like gameplay stuff uh, that was a problem with this game. But a, a lot of that is saved by how well this game tells its story. It's it's paced really well. I actually this is a, I, I said this before we started recording, but like when I finished this game, Unfortunately, one of my first thoughts was, I think this might have been a better like mini series. You know, <laughs> this would have been like a better novel or or something like that. I I, I I see that, but also the the choices that you make like is are so uh vital to the experience. Like the 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 thrust of this game is about uh confronting ethical choices. And obviously, like, you know, you can do that somewhat in a miniseries as a passive actor just sitting there watching the miniseries and making your own judgments about it. But, you know, having to make those ethical choices as a as a part of the narrative is the the core of this experience. And I think so yeah, yes, in a way, like it's an interesting enough story that it would work in a different medium. Yeah. But like this yeah. is a video game. It's implicating you in it, which I think it's interesting. Like it's not like you know, the movie Cabaret, half of that movie is trying to make you feel like you also would make the decisions of the person in the, they stick they literally stick mirrors up. And I keep thinking like, oh, yeah, they want it to be a video game where you make the decision. <laughs> this, like, I feel like this is a game where I completely get what you mean, though, because the dialogue is really the the 
just the really strong investigation of emotions and hypocrisy and like what it means to try to do good. Like all that's really interesting and would be great done by really good actors. But yeah, I get, and, and I, I think also what, why this stands out to me is that I don't, uh, so I think the decision-making un- helps you, it, 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 it charts the way in which you reveal the plot Mm. And in which you reveal the story and you solve the mystery. Mm-hmm. But the decision-making, as best as I could tell, has no real impact on any of the results of the story. Right. It's not like a, it's not like a traditional vis- visual novel where there are routes and those routes have different endings. And maybe you want to play this thing through six or eight times in order to get different endings. It's mm-hmm. definitely not that. And that is, um, f- thank goodness, because that's something that always bothers me about about a lot of traditional visual novels is that they're really designed around this experience of like, well, you're not really getting the the true ending unless you play the entire game eight times yeah. to see all of the main endings. And then you unlock the true ending or something like that. This isn't really like that at all. It's it, but it does still feel like your choices are um, maybe not like deciding the the end result of the story, but they're, they're very meaningful within it. They are. And, and that's fine. It's just the game also, I think make like, it sets up a few things that I think like it wants you to feel like you're having a big impact, like, or at least that your choices have like weight in the, in the world. You have these um, pills that you can serve to someone, which is another morally ethical uh, problem <laughs> that makes them forget uh, the questions that you just asked them. And so you can serve them a different drink and ask, by the way, them I never again. got one of those because I never actually passed any of the <laughs> quizzes, but I never felt the need to use those pills because I could not, there, there never felt like a time where I made a decision with like a drink that I served and got an answer. I was like, Oh no, I need, I should have done it a different way or let me go back and see it a different way. I was just like, okay, like that's cool. That's the information that I got. So I'm just going to move forward. I went, I had two of those pills and I never used them because I never felt compelled by the game to actually use them. Oh, I used it once because I really messed up. I served a, lustful i felt i served euphoria and then was asked a question and it was like why do you want me to talk about you know suicide and i was like you I'm, i can't answer this like what do you, what is wrong with you why would you get me all hyped up for this and oh, i was like Ugh! and i backtracked i used the amnesia pill and i didn't realize it was going to take me back all the way because i had already served two drinks <laughs> so it actually took me back to the first drink and i redid the whole conversation again um which i was really surprised at i would have saved it maybe till the last i didn't realize that amnesia pills just pro tip for anyone playing this it doesn't take you back to the previous drink it takes you back to the person getting a drink in the first place no matter how much time has passed so i i didn't realize how many people were going to come to the bar either. I probably would have been handing out my amnesia pills more, but I, I didn't <laughs> know how many conversations I was going to have. So I, I only yeah. used it that one time when I really messed up and thought I was going to cut off the rest of the conversation. Yeah, there, it's it's a briefer game than I, I mean, it's, you know, obviously this is the short game. Uh, I think, uh, I think how long to beat said this game was eight hours and it felt like less to me. It's, uh, there are five. I, I think it was like four. Yeah. Tops. Yeah, yeah there, four there's like or five. five uh five main client visits, basically five big interactions that happen at the bar. And then there are a few other fairly important so like for example, the scene that we mentioned earlier with the pottery wheel is a fairly lengthy scene, but there are a few other uh in- including some late game scenes that don't happen at the bar that um you know that have their own sort of gameplay modes. 
And those are, uh, you know, I think altogether we're talking about maybe 12 or 15 main scenes. Uh, and it's, it's, you know, it's a pretty, pretty brisk experience. Like it, it, it never really felt like it was bogged down. The, the story continued to feel like it was moving at a good pace the whole time. Um, but yeah, briefer than I expected. Uh, so yeah, don't save those pills. Yeah, just roofy people pay all the <laughs> um, I was going to mention that like I never got any of those pills, and that's because the game does this thing that, that there's a few places, I think, where the game, m- m- rightly or wrongly, is like willing to do things that don't feel particularly uh, real. Not realistic is the wrong word because we're talking about like a cyberpunk world, right? But like uh, do things in the context of the game that feel more gamey or feel like they're designed to serve the game as a narrative delivery uh, puzzled box or device uh, rather than feel grounded in the world of the game. So like the the, the drink making is one of those. Uh, the, the game doesn't isn't interested in answering the question of why is this famous bartender running a bar that only one person comes into at a time uh, where he never seems to get paid for his drinks, where people, you know, just uh, the only part people that come in seem to be people related to the current investigation he's working on. Um, and and why has he only got the like four types of booze like the all of that stuff is just like it's not interested in answering that question it, because magic. This- you know, it's it's in service of the narrative in, and, uh, you know, it can be a little abstract to be in service of the narrative. And there are other ways the game does that, too. The main one that I was thinking of just now was that there's this very sort of silly thing that the Akara Android does where once every time one of these uh, patrons comes into your bar and you have a conversation, the Android then afterward does a kind of a quiz with you. Uh, so the Android, the Androids in this game, their whole deal is that the Akara Androids are very empathic, uh, and they are the first Androids capable of making ethical decisions, which comes up as an important plot point. Um, but what that means in the context of the game is that the uh, the Android is hanging out in your bar and getting a read on all of your patrons uh, empathically, and and also using various Android methods to uh, just know everything about them, uh, and then. After each patron comes in, uh, they do a kind of a quiz with you about the conversation that you just had. And if you pass the Android's quiz, they give you a prize. In some cases, it's those pills, for example, um, which is silly. And the game tries to hang a lantern on that a little bit by saying like, well, why don't you just give me the pills? Or why don't you just give me the prizes? Why do I have to do this quiz with you? And like the Android has some justification for that that I don't recall. Um, it, It tries a little bit to like place it in the world of the game. These like this weird little quiz game that keeps happening after every conversation. But uh, really that quiz game is there because the quiz game is a great opportunity for the writers of the game to ask you the important questions that they are hoping that you're thinking about through the context of the game. So, you know, the, the Android has the opportunity after every conversation that you have to you know, ask you what you thought about the conversation that you just had and ask you uh, moral and ethical questions about the things that you've learned. Um, That I think like felt really silly every time I did it, but also is something that I think is indispensable to the structure of this game. Like I, and I think it's, it's, it's weird. It's a little unfortunate they didn't find a way to sort of weave these things more thoroughly into the world of the game. Things like the pottery and the and these quizzes and stuff. But they all do serve the core theme of the game in pretty important ways. So like 
at first I was like, this is dumb. Why are we, why am I, why am I making these drinks? Why am I answering these quiz questions? This stuff is dumb, but it's like, ultimately it does add up to the developer trying to find additional ways to make you think hard about the questions they want you thinking hard about. Um, so it's, it, it's interesting. Yeah. It, it makes it feel kind of mixed and kind of, um, kind of scattered at times, uh, you know, a, a, maybe not really committed to, uh, realism is not the right word, right? But like not committed to, uh, feeling grounded in the world that they're trying to build, but it doesn't matter because they're grounded in theme. It's strange in a lot of different ways. Uh, you know, all the things you just mentioned, uh, and I think they try to make you sort of displace where you even think you are constantly. So Donovan, the bartender is constantly joking about how he can't leave the bar, but you also never see him out of the bar and it may not be a joke. Uh, there's a character that uh, is able to appear and disappear. Uh, that seems to maybe be a demon of some sort. <laughs> they was his they, deal. They I never drop, found it out. <laughs> yeah. They, no, they name drop like, like this whole game makes you think it's not in the real world. And then they mention iTunes and other <laughs> technology yeah. that exists wild that was in this the world. Thing. And I, so I, I think this was intended to be a sort of a, a far future version of our world. Did you get a vibe otherwise? Yes, but it's, so it's, so it's not just a future then that like it, it is our world, but it's the future. And also it's like, magic exists. I, I don't know. I I thought that so the two things that seemed like quote unquote magic exists in this, I, I could also just see as like people having affectations and it being the future. So like him talking to his muse, right. About drink making, like the drink making isn't magic. Like it's, it's, it's a little, uh, contrived, but it's not completely out of the realm of, uh, of like, uh, but it absolutely this game does has magic. The and there's a character that is literally a magic character. Are you talking about ghosts? Game. Yeah. Yes. I don't think yes. so. Like and, people uh, disappearing in plain sight is very cyberpunk. He's wearing some kind of uh, suit that does it or something. I don't know. Maybe that's a, a interpretation any, question. Any advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. That, that's what route you're going. And it, and if it's not magic, then those then bourbon in the future actually does things that manipulate your mind in this way. Like, yeah. You know he what I mean? He makes some like, terrible bourbon like the, tequila absinthe drink and suddenly people go well, insane. And also pottery is something you can stick in somebody's body and it changes their brain, right? Like all these stuff, I, I sort of read that as an abstraction, right? Like that, no, of course he's not. Like if you were... If you were standing in that bar, no, he's not uh, like pouring lots of bourbon on the floor as he attempts to construct a four ingredient <laughs> cocktail. What's actually happening, that's an abstraction. And then what's actually happening is he's making exquisite cocktails that do actually affect people's moods. And, and I'm willing to suspend my disbelief a little bit and say like, sure, okay, you can mix a cocktail that makes somebody sad. Uh, maybe, why not? Um, Nanobots. I don't know. It's... So I I don't necessarily think that this is like, and I'm not even sure it's an important question. Like, is magic real in the world of uh, of Red Strings Club? I don't think that's necessarily an important question. Um, but I I sort of just read it all as like uh, like hand waving uh, abstractions built on top of a rel what seemed like initially a relatively grounded cyberpunk setting. Yeah, I don't think it I don't think it really matters either. I the whole point that I think you know we're bringing up here is that this whole thing makes you feel uneasy. Everything is a little uneven. Everything is a little strange. You can't ever say like, 
I understand what's going on in this place. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> yeah. constantly confusing and weird and tedious at times. And uh, there was, I even felt like a, uh, I, I, like, even though, again, I didn't find it difficult. I felt like a moment of papers, please uh, yeah. making these drinks, you know? Yeah. yeah. No papers, please is actually probably the number one, uh, like touch point for me on this weirdly enough, because it, there are those sort of moments of tedium or like just like weird mechanical stuff that you have to do in order to, that, that feels a little bit also like an abstraction or a simplification of something. Um, yeah. But like it, it's also about doing, it's about doing a job and then thinking later about the moral implications of the job, um, mm-hmm. that is definitely uh, definitely here in this game. Yeah, yeah. In order to talk really any more about the themes of this game, which I, I've been enjoying this conversation, and I, I want to talk a little further about some of the the themes because they are, I think, what drives what what made this game work for me is th- that it, it does a great job with a really interesting set of themes. Um, but we can't really talk about that any further without getting into spoilers. So uh, before we do that, I want to talk very briefly about the the look and sound of this game, uh, which, you know, this game is is not, uh, I, I don't think this game is selling itself primarily on its stunning art or excellent soundtrack. They're both serviceable. Uh, the the pixel art is fine. Uh, it's got a, a kind of a um, adventure game look to it, even though you're not doing a lot of point and click adventure game style stuff. There's no pixel hunting really. Um, but it sort of looks like a, a pixel adventure, pixel art adventure game. Um, one one thing that definitely annoyed me about it visually, and I won't spend too long uh, talking about this because it's boring. It's just one of my little uh, little things that bothers me. But uh, this game is clearly designed to run at 1080p. I think it came out initially on PC and was ported to the Nintendo Switch. Uh, looks great if you're running it on a 1080p screen. Uh, if you're running it on the Switch in handheld mode. Uh, it will probably look great to you because your prob- your brain probably isn't isn't broken in the way that mine is. But something that <laughs> I immediately noticed is that it's doing a really strange scaling to bring that 1080p image down to the 720p image of the Switch screen. The trouble there, of course, is that uh, 720p and 1080p uh, don't divide evenly into each other, right? Um, so if you're scaling an image that was built to be like very sharp, pixel graphics on a 1080p screen and you scale it down, um, you're going to be scaling it such, and you're, and you're still trying to keep it, have those like sharp pixel edges, uh, which they definitely want here. Uh, then you are going to end up with some things that were say one pixel wide on your 1080p screen, uh, that are one pixel. And by I say, okay, when I say pixel, I'm talking about the, like the big chunk, not the actual physical on screen screen pixels. That's like part of your display. I'm talking about like, and let's say a, a like like a character image, uh, and that character image is, uh, you know, say five pixels across, and you scale that down to 720p, then you can't just divide that in half or something. And some of those pixels are going to scale down uh, correctly, and others are going to have to be. Sc- so uh, the biggest thing that this is obvious is text. Let's say you have the letter A on on your screen, and the letter A is made up of a vertical line and some horizontal lines and one that's diagonal or something like that. Well, when you scale that down, depending on where that A is on screen, sometimes, for example, a vertical line will be two pixels wide and sometimes it will be one pixel wide. So like looking at text, the letters across the the text look 
different depending on where they're placed on screen because of the, the scaling algorithm. And it's extreme enough that like you'll have like the word all. You got two lowercase letter L's right next to each other. One of those L's is wider than the other. And they're right next to each other. Like it looks freaking weird. And it also applies to the, the art of people's faces. So for example, like you'll have a pixel art of a character who moves a, a, like a, a hair to the right or left on screen and suddenly their eye goes from being two pixels wide to one pixel wide. And it looks like it's trying to express something like, did they just wink at me? No, they just moved on screen and the scaling is weird. Uh, I don't know what the what the right way to solve this problem is. There are clearly pixel art games that look great at both 1080p and 720p on, on the Nintendo Switch. And I'm not exactly sure how they're achieving that effect. Uh, you look at something like uh, like Shovel Knight or The Messenger, and they're doing a great job with this stuff, and their text looks perfectly fine at any size. Um, these these guys just did what I think is probably the, the simplest, but also not a particularly attractive scaling to bring that 1080p image down to 720p, and it bothered me constantly throughout the game. And I'm probably the only person that it bothered. So this probably won't affect you I at mean, all. I was playing on a computer at 1080p, so I can't say. like that would Nate, Did you even notice this, or am I, cra- am I crazy? Yeah, I didn't really notice, <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's cool. That's uh, cool, man. I, you know, that's again. cool, says Nate. <laughs> okay. That's, I'm glad. That's your thing, uh, you yeah. know? You know what? Good pixel art and particularly pixel art fonts are just something that I notice. And uh, hopefully this won't bother you. Um, I I eventually got over it. I played the whole game in handheld mode and it was fine. And and if you want uh, more of this content, come to our Discord because we already heard all of this in oh, the yeah. Discord. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you make me sound like such a bore. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> well, you also said like eight times before you started that you said, this is going to be boring. I'm going to go ahead and rant. Yes. <laughs> so, okay. Well, there we are. If Thank you're you, going to get on your high horse, be confident in your high horse. Exactly. <laughs> this horse is mine. Um, and its legs are different widths depending on where it stands. Um so yes, the art is fine. Uh, Nate, do you have anything to say about the music? Yeah, it was fine. Um, you know, I was really after after what I went through with Katana Zero, which I think you know had like a similar vibe of music. Where while playing it, I was like, "eh, this is fine," and then I went back and listened to it, and it was really, really awesome. Um, I was really, really trying to make sure that I didn't do the same thing with this game, and it has that same sort of, you know. Uh, We've said the word cyberpunk like 10,000 times already, but it has that same sort of cyberpunky is it uh, techno. I'm not good with electronic music like, terms. Is it synth wavy or what do you think it's? Mm, no, I wouldn't call the synth wave. No. no. Okay. So no, wrong it's term. not as it's not as aggressive as like a synth wave would be. Um, it's fine. It sets the mood really well. But for a game that wants you to be reading the whole time. Yeah. It's actually it probably way. better that the music isn't, yeah, isn't as intense as, you know, it could be. So I thought it was fine. It yeah. didn't really stick out to me, Yeah, but it wasn't bad. Yeah. So art and art and music, uh, both fine, uh, neither distracting nor particularly inspiring. So I want to talk a little more about this game, specifically the, uh, the themes and the ending. There's a couple of key places in the game that I really want to talk about with you guys. Uh, so if you uh, haven't played this game, uh, this is definitely going to be spoiler territory. You'll hear a spoiler break here in a moment. Uh, so if you're leaving us here, uh, thank you for listening to The Short Game. And you can find our show on the internet, www.theshortgame.net. Uh, you can find our contact form there. It's a great play- way to let us know about what games you think are interesting, upcoming games or games you've played. Uh, you can talk to us on Twitter at underscore 
underscore short game. And of course, you can find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash the short game. And that's the very best way to support the show. Uh, and everyone who supports us on Patreon gets an instant invite to our Discord, which is where we have uh, conversations where I rant about pixel graphics uh, and everyone else can ignore me. So you can all join me there and uh, uh, you can uh, tell me uh, what you thought of the terrible pixel fonts in this game uh, if you played it on the Nintendo Switch. Uh, and uh, you can also, it's a great place to just talk to us about uh, games that you're playing, whether they're short or not. We've got an active Animal Crossing channel right now where folks are playing that. So join us there. I, I don't understand what is going on exactly, but there's something with turnip prices that our uh, Discord is hyper-focused on. And I just keep seeing little push notifications. Uh, there's a lot going on with turnip prices, it seems. Uh, so... So get in the Discord if that's what you're into right now. I very much enjoyed following uh, the Animal Crossing discourse, even though I'm not playing it. So uh, if that's interesting to you, jump on in. Uh, and uh, of course, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Reagan K. Uh, Laura, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Laura J. Nash. And Nate, where can people find you? At Nate STL. And ladies and gentlemen, here it is, your spoiler break. Okay, so there's a particular spot in this game that was where I really, like my ears perked up and I started paying attention to it from a theme perspective and started getting kind of excited about what this game was trying to say or ask of me. And that was, I think about halfway through the game, it's during one of those quizzes. Um, oh no, it's not. I'm sorry. I'm actually thinking it's a little, it's a little later. You've ha- you've found out already about the, uh, the SPW, the, oh, what's, the, I don't forget the, the, uh, the names of these programs that we were. Social, social, social psych, psyche warfare, not warfare. It's uh welfare. Uh, yes. Welfare. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and uh, obviously if, if folks Mind are. Mind be wiping brainwashing. Right. If folks are, if folks are listening <laughs> past this point and are interested in, uh, and, and, you know, aren't planning to play uh quick recap, uh, the, the big thing that we're trying to take down is that supercontinent is launching a program called social psyche warfare, which is basically that they're going to launch a kind of a rogue program into people's uh, uh, brain implants that will, it's unclear at the start of the game exactly what it's intended to do. It seems like it's intended to sort of brainwash people or make them, uh, you know, less likely to, uh, particularly they want to eliminate um, the high highs and low lows of people's brains. They want to get rid of things like depression. uh, And uh, uh, exactly what that will look like is a little unclear at the beginning of the game. Um, It also later turns out that they are not just targeting this at uh, people with brain implants. They're targeting it at essentially the entire human race through the uh, mirror neuron algorithm, which is a a discovery that they've made where essentially they can use uh, things like micro expressions to basically program people's brains who are just normal brains without implants. Uh, So they're going to try to spread this, this brain virus essentially that will try to mellow out all of humanity. Um, And uh, so that's what we're trying to take down. We're trying to stop the supercontinent company from uh, brainwashing everybody into being, into being zombies or, or are we trying to stop them from uh, altering people's brains so they stop being, uh, you know, terrible to each other, essentially, uh, and to themselves? Uh, so we're talking about this with the uh, 
Yeah, we're having a conversation in which we're we're talking to Akara, the empathy droid, right, about this program. And as a thought experiment, you know, they're already sort of on board with us saying like, yes, okay, we're going to try to take down Supercontinent. But uh, they, it comes up that uh, that Supercontinent was planning on putting this, putting the uh, the reins of this program in the hands of Akara and androids like them. Uh, you know, that the, they're going to rather than having this uh, this program that's going to alter human minds. Uh, be administered by people, they're going to have it administered by uh, pr- presumably uh, disinterested androids uh, who can uh, make these judgments more correctly, right? And so they ask, if it happens that I, meaning the Akara android, uh, uh, come into control of, let's say we fail and the uh, and we and and that uh, they come into control of, uh, SPW and can make choices about how it affects human minds. How should they act? And the questions they asked were really hard questions to answer. So like it starts with quest. I'm going to forget some or maybe get them wrong, but it starts with them asking the question, uh, okay, you know, should I use uh, SPW to prevent people from getting depressed? And I, I thought, no, you know, this is, this is, we shouldn't be interfering with people's brains. Depression is not great, um, but it's something that people, you know, in in my uh, perhaps poorly thought out, but uh, in the moment answer was no. You know, I think it would be wrong to to alter people's brains, especially without their permission, to remove depression as a possible human feeling. Um, but then they said, okay, well, what about what about suicide? Should we eliminate suicide from human beings? Okay, so what about rape? What about murder? Should I, the android, if I happen to, let's you know, say we we fail and I end up with control over all of humanity's brains and I have the ability mm-hmm. to end rape, should I or should I allow? And the way they phrase it, should I allow rape to happen? And that's a that's a terrifying question. Uh, and then it goes on further that like uh, even deeper in that conversation, it, it, like it, it's. Should I allow uh, inequality of the sexes? Yeah. And one of the answers is, what do you mean? We solved that already. Yeah, <laughs> was like, mm. yeah that was very funny. <laughs> yeah, uh, th- these, are, these are questions that like, okay, that that's deep end stuff. Like, And then, of course, like you, you, you do your best to answer these questions. And at least for me, I couldn't take a hard line either way. Um, you know, I, 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 of course, said like, no, we shouldn't allow, we should allow people to be depressed, but perhaps we shouldn't allow them to be raped. Um, and then of course that, then of course you're, you're a hypocrite in a sense, right? Because that's, Mm -hmm. that's the, the sort of key question here. Yeah. The one I, I I said no to rape. I was like, yeah, of course. No, don't rape. And then murder. I was like, well, then I was like, yes. I said, I actually did the same thing. And I was like, I was like, wait, hold on. Why did I feel that way? Why did I feel like, okay, murder, you could see where there's like, well, because I, I was like, like maybe you accidentally away. kill someone, but I don't think you can accidentally rape someone. And I was like, why is this? Yeah. And, and <laughs> that yeah, was, that was my yeah. justification as like, there's no such thing as an, like, I was like, oh, this is all getting real. And then, of course, if you do any adjustments, she's like, well, you don't want this to happen. And yet you want to make adjustments to humans. Right. Yeah, you get called a you hypocrite. hypocrite. Yeah, exactly. And you're like, well, that felt 
that felt bad and real. Yeah, and, and yeah. they bring that up again. Like that that uh the Android is learning about humans from you, essentially, and they're they're learning that like, okay, we can't really like you know, we're we're a mess when it comes to ethics. And um you know, there's there's no absolutes when it comes to ethics with with human beings, and they're they're unable to to be consistent or have have uh, f- you know consistent uh, ethical ideas. Um, and then the the whole idea of like the the the, the whole program that uh, that uh, the SPW program is like it, it does a really good job of presenting you like, of course, the, on the face of it, you know, we're in a cyberpunk dystopia and this company wants to deploy uh, like a brain virus that's going to alter people's minds. That's evil, right? But then the game does an inc- incredible job of trying to present you with people involved in this program on all sides and gives you a number of perspectives on it. Um, and it becomes a lot more morally gray. Like, you know, the, the, the moral gray of like, okay, mm-hmm. well, if we, if we could deploy this thing into people's brains that would make them not rape each other, like why, you know, should we, or could we, you know, like what, where do we draw the, these sorts of lines? That's one level of it. But just like the whole idea of like, well, should we allow people to be depressed or should we allow people to feel rage? Um, those seem very clear cut on the, on the surface, but the game does a wonderful job of like trying to get you to really explore. Why do you feel that way? And you know, what is the, what is the justification behind your, your belief that that would be unethical? Um, Overall, like the game just does an incredible job of like making you confront ethical questions around the concept of free will. There's no easy out. The game has not decided that some answers are good they have decided that every answer is questionable and I can only praise it for that. So you talked about when this game, you know, sort of clicked for you. And one thing that it it definitely stood out to me is that I went through like multiple times in this game where I was thinking like, okay, this is the, like the question that sparked this game, you know, like I, like I sometimes like to think from like a writer's perspective, like what what was the big sci-fi question that made them think about the creation of this game and how do they build around it? And at first, one of the ones that stuck out to me at first was the whole like ethical argument of what can a company do once you've already purchased their product? And, and that was one of the first ones, right? And I was like, okay, so is this whole game going to be about companies uh you know who owns a product after it's purchased itunes the video like, game good, right yeah yeah they, <laughs> they 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 name drop itunes but everybody does it right like you know i was thinking about like any- uh kindle like or when nook um tried to replace all references to kindle in all of the books to the word nook and they mistook the word kindled. So a lot of books about like fires said that things got nooked. (laughs) (laughs) I hadn't actually heard about that. That's terrible. (laughs) So that's like the first time people realize that they don't own eBooks. They're kind of borrowing them. Yeah. And and I think it freaked out a lot of people. Yeah. And well, and so what, what really started to stand out to me though, with this game is like, so that was the, the first when I was playing this, that I was like, Oh, that's a good, that's a good sci-fi question. Uh, I wonder how far this game is going to dig into that. That must be like the inciting question that created this game. And then it just gets deeper and deeper and keeps piling on these questions. I was like, oh, there is not really one big question that this game asks until 
the very end. Yeah. Do you want to let's talk about the ending? Yeah, I think that's where this game started. I think they started this the game with this idea for the end and worked all the way backwards from really because like I feel like they had all the questions they wanted to do and were like crap we need to end this (laughs) (laughs) the end felt so I can see both ways it's definitely the ending felt like a bit of an abrupt turn although like I don't know I Nate you you felt it seemed like you felt like the the ending uh let's okay explain the ending and what you thought was an abrupt turn about it so it turns out and I would I think there is zero foreshadowing to this. Now, maybe if I played it again, I would feel otherwise. But it turns out that the Akara robot uh, basically came is an emergent AI that came to life from the internet in 2009 and has spent its entire existence. And we don't know what year this is. I don't think we do, but this is yeah, certainly far future, far future. So it is, it's an emergent AI that has gotten so big and so powerful. It knows literally everything. And it's gotten so big that it essentially controls the world. And the way in which it controls the world though, is by influencing people around the world to enact its desires. So, you know, they say, you have no idea what the right tweet in front of the right person at the right time can do. And it, they, they, they don't even, they don't imply, they straight up say that the creation of the company, uh, supercontinent, uh, the, the CEO, the, the creation of the Akara robot was all guided and created by this emergent AI. And that, each piece of this story was all developed, designed, and an, an expression of this AI's once. The creation of the robot, SPW, all of it was the robot's idea. They just influenced humans to enact it. And then the counterinsurgency to take down SPW, all that was also created and influenced by this AI. And so this whole thing is just puppet mastered by this AI. And that all comes out in the last like three minutes of the game. And, then it's done. <laughs> and the reason the red strings club matters is because they were the one divergent string. <laughs> right. The, that those, those crappy cocktails were the one thing that the, the global AI didn't understand. Um, yeah, it's the, it's the matrix, you know, they're the, they're the, the one, uh, you know, the, uh, of, of this world. And it's just like, so I think, and- that is, you know, the ultimate sci-fi question. And that's why I think they worked backwards, right? What if what if there was an AI that had gotten so powerful that they were able to to control the entire world through influence and not through direct power? And then you like unpack from there what are the ethical quandaries of a computer that can do that? If it is actually trying to for the good of humanity, is that a good thing? Is it a bad? You know, it all sort of filters down from there. But from a storytelling execution. It was so left field that I felt like they figured out, like, they want this emotional manipulation to be, like, the main theme. And they figured out all this stuff. And they figured all this stuff. And they're like, okay, so who is yeah. actually manipulating our plot? And then they were like, 
the robot like like it feels noir you know structurally it felt like it made a lot of sense right up to the point where you're talking to the ceo of supercontinent right where like yeah, that part the, uh, the conversation with the ceo of supercontinent about like the goals of the spw program and everything was i thought a, a really great expression of like the the philosophy behind the idea that 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 yes we should manipulate human beings for the betterment of human beings and that that's an ethical thing to do and in fact an ethical imperative um, and and then it, I, I feel like a little bit like the the developers at that point said like, okay, well, what if we went one step further? And even the person doing the manipulation was being manipulated themselves, and everything is a manipulation right down to the very bones. And it, it felt a little bit right. like, it, to me, it didn't feel like that was where they started. It felt a little bit like that was where they ended. Was like a cherry on top of this story would be like, what's the best mind fuck ending we can give this that still, you know, in a, some dangling way relates to our theme. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't find that particularly great. Um, I, I, I was, however, like near near the end, the conversation with the with the CEO, I thought was great. Like that whole portion of the game was real, real good. Yes, if it would have ended with you getting to make the decision on whether to burn down the uh, SPW or not, uh, I think that would have been a good decision because Mm -hmm. I do think they made a good point. They boil it down to, we're just trying to remove fear of other humans from humans. If we could just get rid of that, then humanity will propel itself to a new frontier. And I was like, that is actually a really good argument and in that game I would maybe make that decision to do it right and I and I was expecting to be able to make that decision and in a way you kind of do but then it all gets undercut when you find out that it doesn't matter what decision you made in really any of this because you were being manipulated from the beginning and every player was just a puppet in this robot scheme and and then the game just ends you don't even get to like you don't even get to do anything with it. You you have one option to tell Donovan about it, but regardless of, you know, there's you don't know it just ends. And I was like, oh, if you're going to do that, give me another hour of this game where you get to unpack that and it, maybe there's some more that happens where you 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 ratchet up the plot to bring down now this, right? Like let it scale with the story but just ending it there. It left this whole game feeling a little uneasy for me when you add in all the gameplay stuff that we talked about earlier that was like uncomfortable. And yeah, not fun. I'll be honest. I, I also agree that like the ending was a bit of a misstep. I don't think it spoiled the thing for me. Like the I was still riding high on like uh, like. Uh, like ethics question galaxy brain from the from the like near the end of the the game and so like yeah i do think that the basically the last say two or three minutes with the uh with the big reveal at the end felt like a misstep to me but um even so i feel like it still ended with a good emotional beat you know the call to donovan as brandeis is falling out of the building to to his certain death that's a tall ass building by the way uh, that, yeah. <laughs> that, that a long conversation while he's fall. literally in mid fall, um, was a good emotional beat. And so, uh, like maybe that last bit was, eh, but like overall, I, I felt like it still ended pretty well. Yeah. And I will say that I, 
I did in this game on a petty note because I didn't think that the relationship was very strong. So when he had a choice to say, like, I love you or like, this is the conspiracy. I was like, oh, it's definitely going to talk about the conspiracy because I did, too. I did not. Yeah, um, I, I did, went too. With the, I love you because I don't know. I I, I kind of bought their their uh, their relationship. You know, we didn't talk too much about the the characters as characters. Like the, the, the characters are, are largely here as like pieces of a larger uh, of a larger puzzle, people to get information out of, and so on. But like, I did think that the characters were decent. Uh, I, I, you know, yeah. it's not like strongly uh, gone into before the ending. But I was, uh, you know, I was on Team Brandeis X X O X O Donovan. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you also figured it out at the beginning of the game. Me had figured it out about. Two or three minutes. Yeah. Okay. That's that. Before. That's very so true. I was like, um, and then I think a lot yeah, of the other I, characters are pretty I, strong too. I I really liked yeah. um, uh, uh, Larissa. I thought she was a fun character, and uh, yeah. you know, I, I I think the she was she, they did a good job using her to kind of raise the questions of like, okay, marketing is it ethical, and uh, you know, is it is it uh, if if manipulation is bad then is marketing unethical unethical that kind of thing um and then i i liked yeah. uh i liked uh naima as well uh all the characters i thought pretty good yeah yeah they were all also like really quick and super willing to turn on this company too but then i guess if uh you know if everyone is being manipulated and everyone is a part of the plot then it's like you know it's just hard to know what was really real or who had been already primed by the Akara uh by the Akara AI to um to like be a part of the plot yeah, or by their uh, implants uh, so one yeah. of the things I liked best yeah. about maybe I I don't know whether you guys ended up with a different solution here or different result here early in the game you during the pottery scene you put a uh, an implant into uh, oh geez, what's the character? Is it um, Joanna? Yeah, something Joanna. Like um, something. Uh, what's her last name? Doesn't matter. She's the like the Sophia or something like that. No, I think it is Joanna. Anyway, she she's she's a character that is a high executive at Supercontinent, uh, and you can uh, turn her to your side. Um, so I I put a I think you get choices about what uh, you put in them, and I put something in her that made her depressed. And then, oh, yeah, okay. um, and she was going to jump off of a bridge, uh, and then I managed to talk her down from the bridge, and then she became part of my team, so to speak, and helped with the investigation. Yeah, did you guys have that similar kind of path with her? Yeah, I put the hippie in her, which made her feel emotion. Oh, interesting. And did she? Did she? Was she about to commit suicide, or what? Did she- yeah, she was still. Um, what had happened was like. She had suddenly, the hippie makes her feel empathy and um, made her feel emotion a lot stronger. Um, You still got the bridge scene, but it was like she suddenly, she'd already been having doubts, but all of her feelings were like incredibly heightened. So she she felt basically like, it was almost like a manic depressive. Like it was almost like she felt she was having manic episodes. I had the same as Laura. It was the empathy one. Yeah. So that's what I was saying at the beginning of this is that I don't I think everybody probably has the same story beats in this game. It's just like the way in which the information uh, is like shared with you changes because I I had that same. Yeah. And I well, someone um, I did look up something because I was trying to figure like out a a beat that happened and I looked up someone's let's play. And I think Joanna like 
they didn't even have the jumping off. Like maybe she didn't like come back. Maybe she did jump off. Like I, I think you can actually either not have that scene at all or like if you don't find out about her in time or you she'll jump off the bridge. So like she might not even be a character in the rest of the game. Yeah, it's definitely I'm pretty sure it's possible to lose her at that point. Yeah. Yeah, I would imagine like it's pretty clear that you can uh, that she will jump if you don't handle it correctly. It was not too difficult to handle it correctly, but it seemed pretty obvious that she will jump. There was also a part later in the game where you get to choose uh, like one voice to keep like you get to go into this scene with one voice. And I chose, I think, Edgar's voice. And then during that whole phone call detective scene, you uncover the ability to get Edgar's voice. And uh, Brandy's is like, oh, dang, I didn't need to choose this one. I could have just found it anyway, <laughs> uh, which was funny. And like, oh, dang. <laughs> so I just double checked my notes and it, it. I forgot that in the bridge scene, if you give her punk, she actually points a gun at you. She's not jumping off the bridge, but she might shoot Brandy's. Wild. I gave the other guy the punk, so... Yeah, there's definitely a decent amount of branching in this, and in, in ways that aren't necessarily uh, obvious or expected. Things like uh, dialogue choices that you make in conversations with the Akara android early in the game crop back up in their conversation later. For example, like I, I said something like, like I, in a conversation where they were nearby but not involved in the conversation, I said something like that the Akara android made me uncomfortable, and then they like held it against me in the final scene. Yeah. Oh, funny. I said that they were not, that they made me happy and that, you know, came up in that probably in that same spot, but they were mm-hmm. like glad that I had said they made me happy. Interesting. Yeah. So there's a lot of that kind of thing in this. I think it does a, a pretty, pretty surprisingly good job with having real themes. You know, a, a lot of uh, video games uh, writing is, uh, you know, kind of graded on a curve. Uh, where you know, you're expected to write naturalistic dialogue um, and maybe do plot well, but themes are not something that a lot of people really judge very clearly about video games. Um, you know the the actual like uh, you know the idea content behind uh, a work. You know it, it's it's something people talk about sometimes in reviews or what have you, but it, it doesn't always. Um, it's not something that video games always do particularly well and aren't always really asked to. This game doesn't land a lot of the stuff that would be table stakes in good writing and other mediums. Um, it's got decent dialogue writing, um, but it has weird stuff in terms of like the the setting. And, you know, we already talked about some of those other things that were just sort of like weird world building that just felt discordant or weird. But um but what it does really, really well, better than a lot of games I have played, is have a pretty specific, interesting theme to explore and then ask you questions, you know, both directly and as part of your gameplay that like explore that theme in some interesting depth and, and have surprising results. Um, I, so I mean, like, I, I can't necessarily say like, this is one of my favorite games ever or anything like that. Like this is, this is a game that like, I, I liked it pretty well. There's a lot of things about it that, that I would recommend about it. Um, overall, I mean, I don't even, I don't even think I would give this like a, a nine out of 10 or anything. It's like, it's a good game, but like, it's, it's really, really surprisingly good at this, at having a really specific, interesting question to ask you. Um, you know, and ask you in a lot of different right. ways 
that's the strength of this game. Yeah. It, it's that it's it's not one. It's got one predominant theme, but it is definitely not one new. Yeah, it's a game about it spending a lot four of, hours thinking about free will in a way that like a right. good science fiction novel might. You know, like it, um, it. It's doing a really good job of like making you think about the, the questions of the game. Do we do we have anything else to say about yeah, this thing? I, I think I no. no I, I think we wrap it up. Yeah. Now. Well. Okay. Well. Then thanks for if you if you made it this far, listeners. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Short Game. Tell us what you think the worst tasting cocktail you made was. <laughs> for me, I think it was the bourbon vodka absinthe drink that then had some bitters poured in on top. Like <laughs> that seems like the worst cocktail. Disgusting. But listeners, what was your favorite? <laughs> In a world where mixers have been outlawed, <laughs> it's like, good God, <laughs> these cocktails, uh, they're so bad. They're so bad. And everyone says they're great. Yeah. It, li- also, listeners, if you have a cocktail making game that you enjoyed the cocktail making in, uh, let us know about that, too. I'm interested to hear about it. And, uh, and thanks so much for listening to The Short Game.